Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning. Did you guys hear that Tom Hanks just signed on to play Mr. Rogers in a movie? Yeah, see, and I just want to go on record ahead of time. <laughs> They're going to come back. My theory is if you wear anything long enough, it's bound to come back. So here we go. We're going to bless some kids and send you to your classes real quick. So uh, parents and adults, if you'll join me in this blessing for our children. Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, bless our kids as they go to their classes. Uh, thank you for their teachers. Thank you for their preparation. Thank you for their heart to serve. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would use this time that, that you might be better formed in the hearts of our kids. Uh, bless them now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, shameless plug aside, um, my sweater. Uh, we're uh, in the, the book of joy. It's a study in the book of Philippians. And uh, we're going to start, we're actually in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4 this morning, but I wanted to remind us that, that we've been looking um, at the life of the Apostle Paul through Philippians. We've been looking at this whole idea of joy uh, and where we get it. So I thought this morning I'd give you a little summary of, of where Paul got joy, uh, where Paul received joy. So the first thing that we know is that Paul's imprisoned. Paul's changed to Roman guard, to Praetorian guard, the royal guard, uh, 24 hours a day. Uh, and uh, there's a death sentence over his head. He doesn't know uh, if he's going to be released. He doesn't know if he's going to be killed. He doesn't know what's going to happen. All he knows is that he's under arrest. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He's not allowed to leave, Um, and that the church in Philippi, which is about 800 miles away, immediately send help. Uh, They send their one of their pastors, Epaphroditus, and he comes and he brings money to to help defray expenses. He brings encouragement from the church in Philippi. And so the very first thing we learn is that Paul gets encouragement from the faithfulness and the love of the people 800 miles away uh, in Philippi. The the second thing that we find out is uh, one of my favorite things in all of scripture, and that's in the eighth verse of chapter one, where Paul talks about uh, the fact that, that the gospel is going out uh, because of his opportunity to share with the, uh, the Praetorian Guard, uh, that, that, that uh, the Royal Guard. And, and here's, here's the scene, okay? Paul gets arrested. That, that would wreck my day. Um, Paul is under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman soldier. The Roman soldiers do six-hour shifts. So every six hours, there's one, you know, some soldiers go off duty and another one or two come on duty and he's chained to them. If you're a Roman soldier, uh, particularly in the Praetorium Guard, your job, if you have a captive, is to keep your captive captive, right? And And if he gets away, if he escapes, then your life is forfeit. Uh, so those are the rules. So here is Paul. Um, he is imprisoned. He uh, has an uncertain future. And where does Paul get joy? He gets joy from this fact that every day, uh, he, every day he has a captive audience of the royal guard of Rome who can't get away from him, and they're going to hear the gospel. And it brings him joy. 
Let's put this in context, okay? You don't get the parking spot at the grocery store you want. It robs your joy. It robs our joy. You know, we don't get things that we want, and it robs our joy. Here is Paul, the great apostle, planting churches all over the world, and he is chained to a Roman guard, and he said, you know why I get joy? Because they're going to hear the gospel. One historian says that, that the, one of the reasons that the gospel spread so quickly and so widely in the ancient world is that these Praetorian guards that heard the gospel, that came to faith in Christ, uh, when you retired from the military, the Romans would give you a big plot of land uh, somewhere in the Roman Empire. It was very strategic because they wanted people loyal to Rome, you know, kind of transplanted all over the empire. You would get a plot of land and you would go there and you would homestead that land, you would build a home, you would take your, your family, you would take servants, you take all these people, this entourage with you, and, and you would live in some part of the Roman Empire. So imagine all of these Praetorian guards that, that heard the gospel, that came to faith in Jesus, and now they're getting sent out, and they're getting planted all over the Roman Empire. They're building churches, they're calling people to faith in Christ. All of this stuff is going on. It's not just where the apostles went, but it's wherever those guards were landed. And the gospel spread. And Paul said, I find great joy. Isn't this awesome? Oh yeah, I'm chained to this guy, but you know what that means? He can't get away from me. Paul's not thinking he's the prisoner. He's thinking, I have these guys right where I want them. And I'm gonna share the gospel. And he got joy from that. And, and sometimes we need to think about how we look at joy and turn it upside down because we think joy is about what pleases me and joy is about gives me, gives me comfort and gives me security and gives me all those things that I want. And here's what Paul thinks joy is. Paul thinks that joy is the greatest opportunity to complete the mission that God's given him. The greatest opportunity to live for Christ. The greatest opportunity to share the gospel. That's where his joy comes from from. And it just might be, if we're really honest, the complete opposite of how we think of joy. Well, another way that Paul thought of joy was he said, you know what, and, <clears throat> and because of my imprisonment, the gospel's going out more boldly because of all of these Praetorian guards that are, that are following Christ, all, all of this stuff that's happening. Now other people are more bold in sharing the gospel. So there are people that are sincere about sharing the gospel and they love me and they're committed and they're out there uh, sharing the gospel. And there are other people that out of envy and, and rivalry, there are people saying, hey, Paul's out of it now. Paul's in prison. He doesn't matter. We're taking over. We're, we're in charge. We're, we're the head of the church now. We're the ones you need to be looking to. And out of envy and competition of Paul, they were sharing the gospel. And do you know what Paul says? I'm so excited that the gospel is going out and people are hearing the gospel. And yeah, some of them might be wanting to get, you know, they're glad I'm gone. But the gospel, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about the God. It's about telling people the good news. It's about all of that. And Paul got joy from the fact that whether out of great motives or not so great motives that the gospel of Jesus Christ was going out because Paul said, you know, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And his joy came from knowing that the, the story of Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ, was going to a world that desperately needed it. Not that he was getting his fair recognition, not that he was getting his fair share, but the gospel was going out. So think about what brought Paul joy. And, and then maybe take a minute and think about what, what brings me joy. Is it the same? Do I have the same perspective that the apostle Paul had? Or, or is joy for me all about me? 
Because joy for Paul was all about Jesus and others. Well, he gives us a, he gives us a little bit of a glimpse of how that works for him in verse 21. Wes talked about it last week. And that, that just the simple phrase Paul used is, was for me to live as Christ, but to die as gain. Let me paraphrase that for you. What's the worst they can do to me? What's the worst thing that can happen to me? Yeah, I'm chained to a Roman guard. Do you know what? If they execute me, I stand immediately in front of Jesus. That's the worst thing they can do is they can send me today to be in the presence of Christ. I don't know, that, it just didn't seem like bad news to Paul. He said, but if they don't, then I get to stay here and be with you and care for you and love you and I get to tell more people about the gospel so I can't lose. This is a no-lose deal for me. And so Paul approached life, he approached mission, he approached everything about him, is I can't lose. If I die today, I'm with Jesus. I'm in the presence of the Christ. If I live today, I get to tell more people about him what's so bad about either one of those. And so he goes into life with that attitude, with that feeling, and he is a joyful person because of who Christ is, because of his experience in Christ, and because he knows that to be absent in body is to be present with Christ. There's a great story that I've <coughs> used in memorial services, particularly when I go to the military, uh, the Veterans Memorial Cemetery about Winston Churchill. Here's the story, maybe apocryphal, but I like it. Um, it, it's that Winston Churchill, when he died, he said at his memorial service, uh, they played taps. You guys know what taps is, right? That's the good night, you know, on the bugle for uh, people in the armed services. So he played taps, and, and that represented, you know, uh, Winston Churchill passing. But he had arranged before his death uh, to have on the other side of the cemetery, from a window in a building, uh, another bugler. And as soon as taps was played, he wanted reveille to be played. Reveille was the get out of bed song in the morning. He said that because when I go to sleep here, I'm gonna wake up in heaven. That, that, that the life doesn't stop here, but it's just the beginning of the next part. And that he had that kind of faith. Well, that's the kind of faith that, that Paul's talking about. For me to live as Christ, for me to live as, to, to be with him, to do what he calls me to do, but to die is to be in his presence. So we get this idea of how Paul saw joy in it, and at least part of his source of joy this morning. And then Paul's gonna challenge us with that in, in beginning in the, the second chapter. So we're gonna just take a quick second and read verses one to four of chapter two. Here's what he says. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of one, <coughs> excuse me, being of full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only after his own interests, but also the interests of others. And we're gonna take a few minutes and simply break this down for us this morning and see what it is that Paul is challenging us with, with our own joy and how we live this life of joy. The very first thing that he does is Paul says, so. Very first word in, in verse one of chapter two is so. And when you see that word at the beginning of a verse like that, it's just like the word therefore. 
Uh, and it says, because of what's just been done, because of what's just been said, now I'm gonna go from there. And so let's look real quickly at what has just been said. In verse 29 of Philippians 1, it says this, in the end of chapter one, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict <clears throat> that you saw I had, and now here I still have. So here's what Paul is saying to this church in Philippi, this church in this Greek city, many people who aren't Jewish, many people who are Greeks that have come to faith in Christ. He's saying, I know that you're suffering too. I know that you're experiencing persecution as well. And can you imagine how tender Paul feels that, that in the middle of their own persecution, they send him help. In the middle of their own trouble, they send him help. They care for him, they love him. And so he says this word, so. Because I know what your life is like, because I know what you're dealing with, because I, I know that there are some hard things going on, he says this, so if there is any encouragement, uh, so if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, he, he, he goes on. Uh, he says that you'll make my joy complete if I hear that you're living this way, that I not only get joy uh, from how much you've loved me. I not only get joy from, uh, from the, the fact that I'm chained to these Roman soldiers, I not only get joy from the fact that the gospel is going out here in Rome more boldly, but I get joy from knowing how you live and how you're following Christ, uh, how you're encouraging and how you're caring for other people. Uh, Paul uses this word, uh, having the same, he, he says if there's any encouragement, any comfort from love, participation in spirit, having the same mind, like-minded. He, he doesn't mean that, that everyone in Philippi has the same opinions because they didn't. He doesn't mean that they agree on everything because they didn't, but rather he means that in the same way of approaching, they have the same way of approaching the matter. That, that they're saying, let's understand that our encouragement is in Christ, let's understand uh, what our foundation is, that we all share the same spirit. That let's, let's start with what we have in common that Christ died for our sins, that Christ loves us. Let's start from this place that, that we're united in Christ, uh, that we're united in his love, that when we come to difficult decisions, when we come to hard times, when we come to disagreements, let's start with what we have in common. Let's start with what we know for sure, that Christ died on the cross for us, that he rose again, that we have life in him, that he has called us to love one another as he's loved us. Let's start with all of those things and let's build from that. Be that like-minded that same-minded as you approach trials, as you approach troubles in your life. And then he, um, he, he writes this word, if you have these things, and um, it's kind of a rhetorical statement. So if there's encouragement of Christ, well, of course there's encouragement of Christ. It's kind of like saying, well, if, uh, if it's Super Bowl weekend, then I get to choose the snacks, right? And, it, well, it is the Super Bowl weekend. We all know that. And so it's a rhetorical statement. And here's what, how you could translate it. You could say, since you have encouragement in Christ. So I, I wanted us to read it one more time with a little bit of paraphrase in it and replace the word if with the word since and see what it says to us. Here it goes. Since you have, since you have encouragement from Christ to move you in this direction... Since your hearts are secure and comforted in his love, since you sense the presence of the Spirit in your life and are aware of his promptings, 
Since God has given you tender, compassionate hearts which move you toward kindness to each other, since God has made it possible for you to do it, make my joy complete by living in harmony with each other, by being like-minded or same-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. You see, Paul is saying that when you belong to Jesus, that when God's spirit lives in your life, that you have these things. He said, now I want you to live like it. I want you to live out these qualities. I want you to live out these characteristics. That since you have your encouragement, which is in Christ, since all of this is built on his love and his comfort, not on our comfort, not on what we can obtain or the security that we can find, but what comes from Christ, what comes from knowing him, for me to live as Christ, but to die as gain. Paul says, I want you to live this way. This is what your life looks like. The, the, the glory of the church is that members living in loving harmony with each other will change the world, that we become the light of the world that others can see. And that's what Jesus prayed for the, the night that uh, he was arrested before he was crucified. He prayed, Father, that they may be one even as we are one. He said, Father, that the world will know they're my disciples because of their love for one another. That he said, I want you to share that same love. I want you to live out your, your love that way. And that's the path to real joy. That's the path to true joy. And Paul said, that will complete my joy. It's not about me getting released from prison, but it's about me knowing that regardless of what happens to me, that you move forward, that God's people moves forward, that his church moves forward. And so here's the... Here's the crowning, the major characteristic that Paul wants to challenge us with this morning. And I've said before that if I, um, if you were to ask me what's the number one characteristic that, that all followers of Jesus should strive for, you know, uh, 40 years ago I might have said, probably I would have for sure said love. I said love's it, love's got to be on top. I mean, there's a lot of great ways that you can make the, that case and how we should love. But I would say the character quality that maybe makes the most sense to me today and is the most important is humility. It's, it's the idea of humility. There's an old saying that we talk about that um, uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. And Paul wants to challenge us with this very idea in, in the... Uh, in the second chapter, look, look at what he look at what he says here. He says, "Do nothing in verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look each of you. Uh, let each of you look not only at his own interests but also the interests of others." Let's just take this apart real quickly. Here's what he says: "Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit." Now, those are interesting words. This idea of selfish ambition is the idea of do nothing to just promote yourself. Do nothing because you uh, think that you're more important. Uh, don't do things just to make yourself look more important than other people. Out of selfish ambition, it's about my position, it's about my power, it's about my place, it's about my recognition, whatever it is, affirmations, all of those things. He said, don't do things for that reason but do things to promote Christ. Do things uh, to promote other people. There's a great, another great old saying that I, I, I read 
said that simply this, that great leaders are totally committed to the success of those under them. That the idea is that not, it's not about who gets across the finish line first, it's about getting everybody across the finish line. It's about how we're gonna finish this race. And he's saying, don't do it with selfish ambition. Don't do it just about you. And he said, don't do it out of conceit. So if ambition is about self-promotion, conceit is about feeling like you're better than everybody else. Yeah, I'm sure they could do it, but I can do it better. I'm the best at this. I, I need to do it because nobody can do it like me. I'm, I'm the one that every, everybody knows that. Everybody needs to see that. I can do it. Uh, why would I let somebody else do it when I know I can do it better? Well, you know what? Sometimes it's important to let other people do it. I remember I was going to um, this conference one time and, and one of my mentors was the natural speaker for this conference and he came to me months before and he said, you know what, I want you to be the speaker at this conference and I'm gonna be there and I'm just gonna take a role, in a serving role, and, uh, but you're gonna be the speaker and I'm gonna be there with you the whole time. And so I was the speaker and, and I was the one that was up front every, you know, every night in this conference. Um, but what nobody else knew was that this man was behind me the whole time, coaching me, walking with me, encouraging me, uh, being with me, uh, because he knew that it was important for me to have that opportunity and to get trained and to grow. It wasn't about him being recognized. He was clearly the better speaker. He was clearly the more, more polished, more professional, more, you know, more experienced. He was a godly man. All of those things uh, would have been a, probably a way better conference if he just spoke, but that wasn't what mattered to him. What mattered to him was giving somebody an opportunity to grow and develop, and he put me in that position, and he came under me and walked with me the whole time, and I'll never forget it. Uh, I'll never forget how significant that was. I don't even remember one thing that I said. I just remember who was underneath me when I said it. I knew who was with me and how much he cared for me. So God's put us in those positions, and, and so Paul's challenging us to really think about our motives, think about our heart, do nothing out of selfish ambition or nothing um, out of conceit. Let's look at what else Paul tells us uh, in this passage. He says, uh, do nothing... Uh, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Now, I know there's that, that um, two, two things are happening right now. Uh, one is, I'm really laughing, but it's the second part. One is um, that you're thinking, well, th this, is, this is, you know, my life struggle. I feel like a doormat. I feel like I don't matter. I feel like I don't, you know, count. I'm not good at things. And, and now he's telling me to, to think of myself that way, to think of myself as, as you know, that everybody else is more important than me. How can you, you, you live um, that life? And <laughs> that's, excuse me, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying to us that how, how we, we live uh, our lives is simply the way Christ showed us to live our lives, uh, that we count each other, others as surpassing us and that I want to put them first. I want to look to their needs. When I listen to somebody, this, is, this would be a great test for us. When I listen to somebody, um, I, I want to listen to understand them. I want to listen to really know them and understand what they're trying to tell me. I'm not listening just to prepare my comment right? I'm not listening just so I can have something impressive or important to say after they talk to me or after they ask me a question, but I'm really listening to understand that that's what it means to put somebody else in front. When we're concerned about our own 
needs and our own ambition and our own self. We, we don't really listen to people, um, but we, we are just getting enough information. That, but what we're really focusing on is, is how impressive we're going to be when we respond to it, uh, how important we want them to feel we are, uh, how wise we want them to assume that we are. Uh, what we want them to say about us when they, we leave, rather than saying, I really want to hear this person, I want to understand them, I want to listen to them, I want to put their needs in front of my own, I want to be present in the moment, that it's not about me, but what is it that God is doing here, uh, what what's it is that, that he wants us uh, to understand. And so humility is uh, counting others as more uh, significant uh, than than you are. And, and I think that the... Uh, <laughs> The part that I find so funny sometimes is that um, we, we have this sort of false sense of how we do it, uh, that we, we say it, but I don't know if you've ever been with somebody that says it so much that you know they're trying to convince you and everybody else how humble they are. And, and that's, that's not the goal either. That the goal isn't about convincing people how humble we are. The goal is simply to understand who we are in Christ. You know, it's one of the reasons that we talk about this, that, that we preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Uh, because every day I need to be reminded that, that I'm a sinner saved by grace. Uh, that, that I only stand here this morning because of the love and the grace of Jesus Christ in my life. That otherwise, without him, I'm completely lost. Without him, I am spiritually bankrupt. And, and I can stand before you, I can stand with you uh, because of who Christ is in my life and what he's done for me. And if I can start from that position, that not only does that remind me of who I really am, but it also gives me great comfort and security that I belong to him, that it's about him. People ask me all the time about preaching sermons. and So I'm going to let you in on a little secret this morning. Um, I have never in all of my life walked off a stage on a Sunday morning and thought, I hit the ball out of the park today. <laughs> That's never happened to me. So what I do every Sunday morning when I walk off the stage is I say, Lord, this was a gift to you. Those were your words. That's why I'm so committed to doing expository sermons that, I, that just using the scripture, that, that what, what in my life allows Jesus to speak? Um, that, that it's not about whether or not I hit the ball out of the park. It's not about whether how impressive anything I say is. But it's about are we drawn to Jesus? Uh, do we, has he become more valuable? Has he become more precious in my life? Am I, am I driven to serve him more in my life than I ever have before? Here's the last thing. Let each of you look not only after his own interests, but also the interests of others. He doesn't say ignore yourself. He just simply says, look after others. Look after each other. Have you ever said that to uh, your kids? Okay, you guys look after each other. My son Josh, because he, he grew up with brothers, right? Never had a, never, we didn't have any daughters, and he grew up with all boys, and so and then his first is a girl, Lucy. She's awesome. And uh, then he had JT, and JT's this thick, you know, kid, big boy, and uh, so Lucy's, <coughs> I don't know, 10 or 11 years old. She wants to go to a friend's house. He, Josh says, well, here's the deal, JT, you're walking her there, and you're going to look after your sister. It doesn't matter if she's older and all that, because she's a girl. He's just trying to figure all this out. But it's kind of a metaphor for how we live our lives, right? 
that, that, that somebody needs to go someplace and we just simply say, I'm going to go with you. I'm on this journey with you. You, you, don't, you probably don't need me, but I'm just going to go along. You, don't, you, you just need somebody walking down the sidewalk with you, wherever it is that you're needing to go. And I'll be there and I'll be with you. And that's what Paul is saying. He's just saying simply this, that in the craziness of life, in the busyness of all that we do, uh, how you know, self-important that the world tells you that you need to be, he's just simply saying, would you look after each other? Would you put other people in front of yourself and say, how can I serve them today? How can I care for them? How can I love them? Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.